0: is Luke 1, uh, verses 67 through 79. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus, we pray that we would uh, cherish your coming tonight. Um, that our hearts would be focused, that they would be rejoicing, that they would be filled with um, conviction to follow you with everything we have and everything we are. Uh, we thank you for this church. We thank you that um, you've brought us together by the blood of Christ. And so we uh, lift up tonight to you, and uh, in your name we pray. Amen.
1: Good evening and Merry Christmas. Uh, for many of us, Christmas is a warm time that we associate with memories of families and of traditions. But I also want to acknowledge that for many of us, the holidays are not such a warm time after all. Some of us might even dread the holidays. They can be sometimes a reminder of how broken our families can be. They can be a reminder of how lonely the season can be. They can be a reminder of how the world is not quite as it should be. And I think that whether the holidays are a fond time for us, a warm time for us or not, we can all acknowledge that at the end of the day, there's just not something that's not quite right about the world. There's something that's not quite right about me. There's something that's not quite right about other people. There's just something that's just broken and it's not fixed. So I just want to invite you to think for a moment. What do you believe that at the core of the things is wrong with the world? What's what is the problem? There's a lot of different options. There's big overarching problems. You could say, man, we have the wrong political party or the wrong political candidate. Man, we have bad fiscal policies or climate change. They can be more personal problems too. I'm so lonely. I don't have companionship. I don't have enough money. I have a bad job, bad friends, or bad family. So what's your problem? that you think is is wrong, that you think is broken. Personally, I've suffered from a lot of different things on this list at different points in my life. For a long time, I've struggled with loneliness, certainly still do. And I thought, man, if only there was better companionship in the world, everything would be fine, it would be right. Other times in my life, I thought, man, the politicians are just so crooked. If only they did it better, if only they did it right, everything would be just right. Everything would be normal. As it should be. So now we're celebrating Christmas. And there's this birth of this baby Jesus that we talk about. And I want to ask the question, what does the baby Jesus have to do with our problems? What does this baby Jesus laying in the manger 2,000 years ago have to do with what's broken with the world today? And I also want to ask, where did this brokenness even come from in the first place anyways? Why isn't everything just, just okay? The Bible actually answers those questions for us. And to begin to answer those questions... We have to go back to the very beginning of the story. You see, when God created the world, long before Jesus came, he created Adam and Eve in a perfect garden, and there was nothing wrong with that garden. There's no cancer, no aging, no loneliness, no sickness. Everything worked exactly how he wanted to. But then Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. He said, do not do this, And they insisted on doing it instead of trusting him. And that's what plunges the world into the situation we have today. That's why things are not as they're supposed to be. That's why we experience the different things that we experience that hurt. But thanks be to the Lord that he is merciful. He didn't just say, oh, you disobeyed me, now you're on your own, figure it out. He says, I'm going to do something about the situation to fix it. So the first thing he does is he picks a nation, a special nation called Israel, and he says, I'm going to use you to fix the other nations. I'm going to use you to fix the, other, the brokenness of the other nations and your own brokenness. I'm going to use you to renew the world that I created and bring it back to this garden paradise that originally was. And then the story gets more tragic than that. Because a special nation God had picked to fix everything that was broken. They disobeyed God just like Adam and Eve did. They turned away from their king. They rebelled against their king. And nothing was made right. Rather things get worse and worse. As you read through the Bible from Genesis with each successive book, things don't get better, they actually get worse. So something still is seriously wrong. And then... Things got so bad that God was actually silent for 400 years. He just said, I've been talking to my people for 400 years. And his people were probably wondering is God taking care of us? Will he keep his prom- promises? Will he save us and fix everything that's wrong with the world? And it's at this point that Jesus comes. Jesus comes after 400 years. Of God remaining silent. And that's where our text from today comes from, the one that was just read on the screen. At this moment, right before Jesus is born, there's this prophet named Zechariah. And he hears the news that God is sending a special child to rescue his people. God isn't gonna be quiet anymore, God's gonna come and help us. And he gets so excited and so overwhelmed and so full of God's spirit that he speaks those amazing words saying this is what God's going to do for his people, for his creation that fell. And as we walk through this passage, we're going to see and understand how God is going to ultimately rescue his people, rescue his creation that had fallen through Jesus. Long ago, long before even Jesus came, God's people were trapped in slavery to another nation. Although their lives were painful, God paid careful attention to them. Exodus chapter 4, verses 27 to 31 says, The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron
2: spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped.
1: So if we look back to verses 67 and 68 from Luke chapter 1, it says, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Blessed means praise be to God. And what comes next are the reasons why we should praise God. It says he visited and he redeemed his people. So the first question that I want to answer is, what is a visit and why does it matter to us? What does Zechariah mean by that Jesus came to visit us? So this is not the first time the word visited shows up in the Bible. In the passage we read, We just heard that long ago God's people were stuck in slavery. And then Moses shows up. God sends Moses and he says, God has a plan to rescue you and to redeem you from the slavery that you're in. God is going to set you free from the oppression that you're stuck in. And their response to that, when God said that, was when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, And that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads, and they worshipped. So they saw that the Lord visited them. Now here's the catch. There are two different kinds of visits in the Bible. Not every time the Lord visits his people in the Bible is it a good thing. The first kind of visit is when God draws near to see what's going on, And he sees that the people had committed wickedness, so he punishes them. The second kind of visit is when he shows up and he sees his people in need. His people hurting. His people in affliction. And he shows them mercy and love. So how do we understand Jesus' visitation? Is Jesus' visitation one of judgment? Judgment? against sin, or one of mercy. It would actually make sense if his visit was one of judgment. The reason is because every one of us have sinned. What I mean by that is God deserves to be the center of our universe, the center of our lives. But he never stays there, does he? We always find something else that we think is more important. Something else we desire more. Something else that we want to treat as the thing that makes us the most happy. The thing we want to focus on. When really the whole time God deserves to be there. He deserves to be worshipped. And so if Jesus were to come and judge us, I think that would be the just thing that we should expect. But that's not what happened, is it? That isn't what happened. Here's Luke chapter 2, 11 and 12. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. How did God enter our world? How did he visit us? He came as a vulnerable, needy, helpless little child. I mean, can anything be more inconceivable? The God who created the world, coming as a small child, one so small that any one of us could hold him right now in our hands. Friends, he did not come for war and vengeance. He came for peace. He came, there's no other... Less harmless way he could come. He came in the most harmless way he could. As a little baby. And as we see as he grows up, he didn't come to inflict harm. He came to be harmed in our place. We're gonna find out that Jesus eventually makes a sacrifice that we could never make. So God came to visit us on Christmas. And his visit was not for judgment. It was for mercy and love. What else can we learn about Jesus' visit? If we return to Zachariah's prophecy, we get to learn more. So far, we know it means he comes for mercy instead of judgment. Now let's look at verses 69 through 75. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, Friends, it was not surprising that Jesus came into the world. What's surprising is how he came. The prophets, the the priests, the people of God were anticipating his coming for years and years and years as a Savior for them. Do you know what a Savior is? A Savior is a king... Who would come and defeat the enemies of God's people that are bringing them shame and judgment and abuse and give them peace and prosperity? And for many thousands of years, as God's people suffered at the hands of foreign empires and suffered oppression and suffered slavery and abuse, they waited for the Savior. God, when are you going to come and deliver us like you promised? And Jesus is the answer. His visit is the answer to all the promises that God had made to his people while they suffered. And if you're suffering today, know that the God we're talking about is a God who responds to suffering with love. That's what Jesus shows us. The relief doesn't come right away, but it surely comes if you're his child. And this time, when God comes to show mercy, this would be the final time, the ultimate mercy, the mercy that never ends. In Exodus, when God came to show them mercy, it was mercy that freed them for a little while, but they still needed mercy because they kept getting oppressed, they kept getting hurt by other people. Jesus is coming to show us the ultimate mercy. But how will he do it if he's so powerless? He's not come as a glorious warrior king. He has come as a baby to a poor Jewish family. If he comes in such weakness, how is he going to ever defeat his enemies? And and what kind of oppression is he going to free them from? These are questions we're still going to answer.
3: God's compassion for his people who were in slavery moved him to action. He would not sit idle by and let his people suffer, Exodus 6, 6 6-9 says. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord God, and I will bring you from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery.
1: So the verse I was talking about earlier, Blessed be the Lord God, for he has visited and redeemed his people We talked a little bit about what visited is. Now I want to talk about what redeemed is. So what is redemption? And why does it matter for me and for you? You may be wondering, what does the word redemption mean? Well, just like the word visit, the Bible helps show us what the word redemption means. We are reading in Exodus 4, how God promised that he would deliver his people. He saw their pain. He saw their misery. And he sent Moses and they said, the Lord has visited us. And then God says, and I'm coming down and I'm actually going to break the Egyptians with my strong and outstretched arm and I'm going to bring you out of that place to myself where you'll be happy with me and I'll take care of you. And Exodus chapter 6 says, God is redeeming his people. So, if you ask me, Ross, how do these two things work—visiting and redemption—I would say, God, visit is God's coming to assess how are we doing, and seeing that we need His help. His redemption is His helping us. So that leads me to ask, what kind of redemption did Jesus accomplish? Because if you look back in Exodus, the redemption he accomplished is he took his people who were subject to a foreign power, who were enslaved to them, and he said, come out, I'm going to bring you out. But none of us are really stuck in that situation. Like we're relatively free, we have a lot of good things, but Jesus says, I'm still coming to redeem you. So what kind of redemption is it? I mean, if we were alive... Back when Jesus was alive and Jesus showed up and I was an Israelite, I say, man, Jesus is here to free us from the Romans. Because the Romans was the nation that had taken over that, that, the Israelites' land at that time. Good, the Messiah is here to redeem us from the Romans who have made us slaves. But that's not what Jesus did at all. And we can see throughout the Bible... That that's what people expected him to do. Jesus, when are you going to free us from the Romans? But by the time he died and left this earth, they were not free from the Romans. That is not what Jesus came to do. So then what did he redeem us from? What did Jesus come to help us with? Luke 1, verses 76 and 77 give us a crucial insight. This is going back to Zachariah's prophecy that we were talking about. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, in the forgiveness of their sins. Did you catch that? In the forgiveness of their sins. The redemption Jesus came to accomplish was not first and foremost to an earthly oppressor, but to a spiritual one our sin. So Jesus came to redeem us from the deepest imprisonment, the worst condition, and the greatest ailment that's possible our sin. This is a worse oppressor than the Roman Empire. This is a worse oppressor than the Egyptians. This is something we can never get away from. It's the thing that causes us to die. This is the great oppressor that no matter what we do, no matter how good of a society we make, no matter how much we fix up our lives, we still disobey the Lord, and we are still bound to die one day. So what, what is spiritual slavery to sin like? What is it like? It means that our hearts are bent the wrong way. Like a piece of metal. Like when it gets bent, and you're trying to get it back into shape and it just won't go. That's what our hearts are like. They're bent away from the Lord. They're supposed to be bent towards the Lord. We're supposed to love him and delight in him. And he's supposed to be our everything to us. But when I wake up, he's not my Everything. My breakfast is my everything. Or what I'm worrying about is my everything. Or my friends are my everything. Or my lust is my... Just every, he tends to get replaced by other things. And that's what it means that my heart is in slavery. I can't do what I want to do. And why is this the worst kind of slavery? Because it brings us permanent separation from God. This, our sin is the only thing that can make us miserable forever. Nothing else can make us miserable forever. Only our fallen hearts can do that. And so nothing could be worse for us than putting other things where God is. Nothing could be more upsetting. Nothing could be more harmful to our own selves. And yet it's what we're prone to do every single day because that's where our hearts are bent. That's the condition we inherit from our first ancestors, Adam and Eve. This is the reason that the world is as broken as it is. This is the source of the pain. If we just look around the world and see all the different places where people are going through hard stuff, and we just say, Well, why is that? Why is this world the way it is? And I would say, because of me. Because of me, because I don't, I have replaced God with other things. And I'm sorry, friend, but all of us are in that same boat together. And what's worse is that all the brokenness around us in the world, all of the pain and brokenness that we experience, is just a picture of the brokenness in our hearts. That's the picture out there of what's in here. But Jesus came to redeem us from that. That's what Christmas is about. As bad as it is, God's not going to leave us there. That's what the baby in the manger is here for. That's what the perfect human being came for. Because God knew how bad our situation was. And only he could do something about it. And he did. He did. So if you feel crushed by the bad news right now, if you feel discouraged by the bad news right now, the good news is better than the bad news is bad. Jesus came for us. God came for us. You see, when Jesus grew up, he suffered and died on the cross. He gave his life as a ransom price to set every one of us free from slavery who trusts in him. He paid to heal us from the penalty of our sins and the pattern of sin. So not only does he say, you're not going to be judged for the things you did, I'm going to heal the pattern of your heart. So instead of receding from God, instead of fleeing from God, you're going to go to God and love God like you were meant to do and you'll be happy like he created you to be. All of our problems can make us suffer for a long time, but only our sin can make us suffer forever. But Jesus came so that we would not suffer forever. He came so that we could have joy forever. He rose from the dead. So he could be our new Lord instead of sin. Man, I want him to be my Lord instead of sin. He's alive right now and he can help anyone who turns to him and asks for it. So Jesus came to visit and redeem us. That means he came to meet our deepest need. To set us free from what holds us back from God in life. So we can run to God in life. So we can have God and life. And if we believe in him as our Lord, he will redeem us. Now why would Jesus do this thing? Why would he redeem anyone who would trust in him? Anyone who would make him their Lord after we had sinned against him in the way we have? Take a look at verse 78. It says, Because of the tender mercy." Of our God. The word tender in the phrase tender mercy actually comes from my favorite Greek word. The word is spelunknon. And it means guts or bowels. And what that means is the way God feels about us, the way God loves us, is like the feeling when you care so much about someone else that hurts in your stomach. You say, well, well, why, God, would you send your son to earth to suffer these horrible, horrible things for these people that, quite frankly, don't deserve it? It's because of his spelunknon. It's because he has a feeling of love and compassion for us. That's how he feels about you. And so if you grew up and you think, man, God seems so distant. Man, God seems so far from me. Man, it seems like he doesn't care for me. He does. It hurts him. He cares so much about you. And he came. He came on Christmas to visit us and redeem us.
2: We look forward to the day Jesus will return again. Just as he led his people out of captivity from Egypt under Moses. And Jesus led his people out of slavery to their sin in his first coming. He will take them on a final journey into the new world He will make, where there will no longer be any pain. Revelation 21, 1-4 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, former things have passed away I want to address those
1: especially who have come here and maybe you don't believe in Jesus yet maybe he isn't your lord yet maybe he hasn't saved you yet and you might be wondering what is it I should do it sounds so good that Jesus visited and redeemed But what do I have to do? And if you look back to Exodus and the different parts of the Bible we were reading, we see that in order to be free from sin and to be one with God, you have to be a part of his people. That's the key. You have to be a part of his people. He judges the other nations that are against his people, but he is for his people. That's the question we have to answer. How do you become a part of his people? Later in Luke, Jesus says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The way you become part of the people of God is you believe in Jesus. There isn't an ethnic marker that makes you part of Jesus. Anyone from any race can be part of Jesus. There isn't an upbringing that makes you worthy to be a child of God. I was raised in a religious home. That's not helpful either. Only trusting in Jesus as Lord. There isn't any friends or associates or things I have done or haven't done that qualify me to be a part of his people. There's only one thing. It's repentance and faith in him. What is repentance and faith? Repentance means that you change your direction. So I was walking away from God. I was doing my own thing. And now I turn to God to ask Him for help. To serve Him and to love Him. And I confess that I am unable to save myself. I confess that I need Him to save me. I need a Lord. I need a Savior. That's what faith looks like. Every one of us are wired to be our own Lord. How much more here in America where you do what you like? But the only ones who are part of God's people are the ones who trust him instead of themselves. And I know a lot of you might hear this. You might think, man, this guy just wants me to clean up my life. He just wants me to jump through hoops and be pleasing to God. And I just want to warn you right now and say, that won't work. Remember, we're slaves to sin. If we're a slave, we can't just say, okay, now I'm free and you're free. No, you need someone to set you free. And I want everyone here to be free. And everyone can be free. People are marked out of the world by their faith and trust in Jesus. And you know what one of the best parts about having Jesus as Lord is? It feels good. It feels really good. Our hearts just never feel right until they are one with Christ, until he is our Lord. Everything can go so well. You hear these interviews with celebrities. Celebrities. Man, my life is perfect. I have money, I have fame, I have success, but I just can't tell what's wrong. I just feel like something's wrong and I'm depressed. And a lot of, I ask you to think, what's wrong with the world? In the beginning of my sermon. And some of you might think, if only this was okay, then my life would be good. And I just want to say that even if that gets better, you won't be happy. You won't be happy until you're right with Christ. And he came on Christmas so he could be right with you. He can become right with you right now. He can become right with you today. 1,600 years ago, the North African pastor Augustine said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Does anyone feel like they need or want that? Does anyone here want to be free from sin for the first time, now and forever? I invite you to just come talk to me after the service or anyone up here. We would love to answer questions. Or do you just have questions? You you just listen to me and you're like, what is this guy talking about? It makes no sense at all. Okay, let's talk. Let's talk. And for friends who already follow Jesus who are here, people who are already in him, I just want to remind you today, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're suffering, no matter what you're nervous about, Christ has already met your deepest need. Your deepest need is already met if you're trusting in him. And if he has met your deepest need, if he has met the thing that's the hardest to take care of, can you trust him with all the other less serious needs you have? Can we trust him and not be anxious that he'll take care of us in the smaller things that we have? If he's taking care of the deepest problem, the deepest need that we have. If you're struggling today to doubt, if you're struggling today and you're doubting God's goodness, if you're finding yourself questioning, Jesus, I follow you, but do you really love me? I encourage you just to quote to yourself Romans eight thirty two, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for you, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If we have Christ and forgiveness of our sins, eventually, in this life or the next, whatever your suffering will be healed. Promise, and you can trust him. You wouldn't think, would you that a helpless little baby is the solution to your deepest problem. It's counterintuitive. Man, I thought a multinational corporation, or this celebrity, or this government, or my own ingenuity was the solution to my problem. It's not. Jesus, humble, meek, servant of God, Who was crucified on a Roman cross, he is the solution to our problems. Isn't it ironic that in order for him to set us free from slavery, he had to be treated like a slave? Have you ever thought about that? He was whipped with the whip before he died, just like the Egyptians would whip the Israelites. He had to bear his cross on his shoulders just like a slave would have to bear a heavy burden for their master. And when he died, his arms and legs were bound and they couldn't move. Jesus became a slave so he could become free. That's the kind of Savior I'm saying I'm hoping you believe in. The kind of Savior who would go that far, show that much love in order to rescue anyone who would come to him. Will you ask Jesus to heal your deepest problem, your sin today? Will you ask him to do it? I want to go back to those verses Jesus, Theo just read. Jesus didn't say dead. He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven where he listens to And sends help to his people today. And he's coming back soon. He only stepped away for a little while and he's coming back to visit again. And on Christmas, we not only reflect on the fact that Jesus came, we eagerly anticipate and look forward to the day where he comes back to make everything well. You see in the text that Theo read from Revelation 21.4 it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. He'll set us free from slavery in our hearts today if we receive him and tomorrow in the age to come he'll set us free from the world free from its slavery to sin. He'll set our bodies free from our slavery to sin and there won't be any suffering anymore. That's what's coming. There's a part in the hymn, Joy to the World, that goes like this. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Jesus will make that verse come true when he comes back. To those he frees today from the presence and the penalty of sin, Tomorrow he'll free from sin altogether and suffering altogether. This is what it means that Jesus came and redeemed us. Jesus came to meet our deepest need by setting us free from sin. And come to be a part of his people. He's inviting you today to come if you've never come. Because he wants more people to be a part of this new family, this new world, together, where we have freedom.